case. Pope not hates are basically controlling Britain. Pope not hate. An alluring name for those more concerned about social justice than truth. These backwards, these backwards thinking, virtue, sick, virtue signaling, fake news crate. Joe Mulhall, I'm senior researcher at Hope Not Hate, and I'm joined as usual with Martin and Sophia. Uh, happy Ramadan, both of you. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks very much. No Thanks problem. for eating those chocolates in front of us too. I know I was. I hadn't really thought about that, so I apologies for that. But um, they are delicious. So um, uh, thank you also, Matthew McGregor, who's campaigns director, who joined us last week. He, he filled in for me. Um, I got numerous messages from lots of people saying that they much preferred him. So it will be some. <laughs> it'll be some time before we invite him back. Um, so no, uh, this is the number fourth in the podcast. We also had a little uh, special that came out last week, which was about kind of a talk I gave about the alt right. So if you haven't heard that, please check that out. Um, it's talking about what is the alt right. How you know how we should look at it and how we should maybe combat it, and yeah, this should be a good one. We've got lots of talk about music today, as it's a bank holiday weekend coming up. We're told it's going to be 29 degrees, so it should be absolutely boiling. That could be why today is quite hot as well, and that could be why you might be able to hear a bit of air conditioning in the background. So apologies for that. We'll try and try our best on that. I wanted to start today talking about a kind of a bit of a controversy actually that came about after a Times article on Sunday that we were involved with. The print version had the headline "Heil Hipster." which caused a bit of a stir. The online version said, I think it was called the, the Hipster Fascists Who Anti-Racism Campaigners Say Are Breathing New Life Into the Far Right. Um, we'd been involved, uh, this is off the back of a report we produced called A New Threat, which we produced about four or five weeks ago, that outlined generation identity in the UK, outlined who they were, why we thought they were a problem, looked at their ideas. It's still on our website, and we'll stick it in a link in, in the, uh, the description below. But basically, generation identity is a European far-right movement. Uh, it started in France. It's been there's branch, big branches in Germany, Italy, uh, France, Austria, and increasingly in the last kind of year, last, since last summer, really, there's been attempts to get a branch off the ground in the UK. And we wrote a report about it, and, and it got some press at the time, but it got picked up again by Andrew Gilligan, who was talking mainly about the group's leader or the guy who's recently become the group's leader, someone called Tom Dupre, talking about who he is, which we kind of exposed in the report that he works for a Citibank, Standard Chartered. Basically, the, the fuel around the article was less about the content of the article, and it was much more about this idea of normalising the far right using something like the headline like Heil Hipster and I think the tagline under the article said uh, forget bomber jackets and beer bellies Britain's far right is rebranding with skinny jeans trainers and honeyed words and lots of people were concerned I think probably quite rightly concerned both about the use of the term hipster in the headline but also about the kind of normalisation that a lot of this is focusing on these groups image and their clothes rather than their ideas as such while actually in the article they did quote us at length where we talk about the extremeness I certainly understand why there's been a lot of anger there's been some videos made on YouTube YouTube, The Guardian wrote a big piece called When Hipster Fascists Start Appearing in the Media, Something Has Gone Wrong. The problem is, is right, the generation identity as a network, both in Europe and the UK, is very image conscious, right? And that's an important point. Some people have turned around in this argument and said, we just shouldn't mention what they're wearing or what they look like. It should just be about the fact that they're Nazis or fascists or whatever you want to call them. I think that's actually wrong. I think what they, the way they present themselves to the world is, is very conscious. They're, they're very an image conscious far-right movement. It's about For us, it's about understanding how they might attempt to recruit you new young people uh, and part of that is the way they look to the outside world so it is important to discuss that but the problem is is the way it's done quite regularly and we've been arguing with journalists and newspapers for months since we started looking at GI um, not to use the word hipster we've been pleading with them because it's exactly what they want they want to portray themselves as normal young and cool but is hipster still cool though? <laughs> You're sitting across the, the table from a couple of people that might uh, take Speak for yourself <laughs> I just happen to have a beard no um but no, I mean, 
it's a really interesting it's a really interesting discussion right because how do we talk about the importance of their image and uh, as a tactic and a tool without giving them exactly what they want which is talking about their trainers and their skinny jeans right I think there was even they tweeted some stuff out as well the times I don't know if you've seen that yeah so I think the problem lay wherein a tweet does not really give you everything you you need um, in terms of context right so the Sunday Times tweet that went out alongside the article again on their on their image it said middle class and well spoken dressed in skinny jeans and New Balance trainers meet the hipster fascist breathing new life into the British far right and that 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 got the uh, portions of Twitter really up in arms um, at the progressive end of the spectrum you know I think it, it ranged from people mocking it saying you know if New Balance is is hipster fascist like what kind of trainers do do liberal lefties wear and things like that which I found to be pretty funny also New um, Balance <laughs> people I think were rightly outraged in the sense that would you I think there's a, there's a legitimate question to be asked um, in that would you see the same description offered to other people who have unpalatable views that are somewhat different you know I think we've seen a trend and across the board um, in terms of dealing with both incidents of extremism and also agents of extremism where if you're white, you tend to be normalized and you tend to be uh, humanized too. You know, we, we find about your family and your mental health and perhaps what drove you to, to do something that was extreme and out of character. Whereas if you're brown and you have a beard, you know, you are in- instantly othered and whole communities are tarnished with the actions of, of terrible individuals or groups. Mm-hmm. And this is, I think, that this was uh, all culminated around one tweet. Um, I think you read the article, like, like Joe said, we contributed to it and made valuable insights into sort of the fact that image is really important to generation identity. I think there is something super insidious about the fact that they use nice haircuts and intellect as a way to drive a far-right agenda. You know, like, that's it's really appealable to a, to a new group of, of activists and, and conservatives who are sort of bleeding now into the more extreme end um, of the political spectrum. But some of this stuff, unfortunately, got lost in a, in a, in a tweet and a picture that could arguably uh, be said to, to glamorise the movement. You know, we've done our, our, our part to bring the conversation back around to where we think it belongs and talk about their extreme agenda. I think it's worth noting uh, what really brought GI to fame originally was a story that we broke last summer of their mission that was dubbed Defend Europe. They crowdfunded to hire a boat, took it to the Mediterranean, and attempted to block NGOs from rescuing refugees whose lives were at risk. This is something that can't be downplayed, you know? And like these, and these are young kids with, with fresh faces, and so people are willing to ignore that they might have a really sort of extreme and specific ideology. Yeah, I mean, I think that's absolutely right. Uh, and the, the point that is worth... Well, the reason it's worth talking about what they're wearing and their clothes and those sorts of things is because there is a, different, uh, there is a conscious difference between the image they portray to the world, which is normal, and actually the core of their ideology which is very extreme we've said this I think on previous podcasts and we've certainly written about a lot on our website core ideas such as ethno-pluralism remigration a lot of this is completely the same as uh, repatriation or traditional far-right ideas or white separatism and the creation of white states so it's really extreme and so the only reason we should be talking about the way they present themselves is to show that there is a difference between the way they present themselves and actually the core of their ideology well, there, are, there have been some good things that have come out of this. I mean, despite the way the article was portrayed, uh, Standard Charter are looking into this, and the major GI members have been banned from the UK. Maybe not because of the article, but it's happening. 
Yeah, I mean, we, we kind of we contacted Standard Chartered when we first published our report, asking for a comment, asking about Tom Dupre and, and their position on the fact that he worked for them, and they said they were looking into it, and it seems they're still looking into it, so we'll have to see if we get any movement on that. I mean, before we, we've got to wrap up in terms of time on this topic, the only thing I would laugh is, is I very rarely quote The Sun for numerous reasons, <laughs> but they did produce a, quite an amusing article. We, we would, one of the things we mentioned about Tom Dupre is that he was a very proficient clarinet player. Um, I don't know why we found it so funny. Important note. I'd say. Oh, it's really important. Uh, and the sun, and the sun ran a headline called "A Right Mess." Posh clarinet playing city banker is the chilling face of Britain's respectable-looking fascist fringe. Um, so say what you like about the sun, but they can they occasionally... They know how to do headlines. Exactly, they can occasionally be amusing. Um, so that's kind of wrapped up that. We'll put the in the link below, we'll show you the kind of our report that we've said this, and I'm sure you can see lots of the articles we've written about it. But we need to move on in terms of time. Um, uh, so I'm going to bring on to the second topic, which is by Sophia. What, what would you like to talk about today? So I didn't expect to want to talk about this, but the royal wedding... Uh, which people have probably heard way too much about. Um, but anything that annoys or irritates or makes the far-right or the alt-right very angry is good news, or most most of the time it's good news. So um, as everyone's probably heard, Meghan Markle is both... She identifies as black or biracial, and she is a feminist. And I'm not quite sure which one bothers the alt-right more, but they've been very angry about it online. Um, so first, there's the... The usual. I mean, there's the Katie Hopkins of the world who who are not happy. But then it gets rather vile. Uh, Jack Buckby, who is a staunch royalist and a far right activist. Um, I I did have to listen to his YouTube video, which was fun, <laughs> a fun fun times. Um, he finds her not suitable and a and I quote Trump hating feminist mental case. And um, he's worried she's going to ruin the whole royal uh, royal family. And his main issue is that she is political. And I, I thought... What that, is that his main issue, or is it that she's not white? <laughs> That's his supposed, you know, um, main issue. But I, when I listened to Jack Buckby, I was like, oh, God. And then I actually went further, and Jack Buckby actually sounded nearly reasonable compared to... Uh, people on Gab, for example. So some of the stuff there included um, the end of British royal bloodlines, uh, Jewish conspiracy theories, they managed to get the Jews in this too, Um, and the notion that this is all a conspiracy and Meghan Markle is not actually biracial. Um, How does that even work? Let's not go there. And then... um, on the Daily Stormer, how would you describe the Daily Stormer? It's the largest neo-Nazi website in the world, yeah. <laughs> in short. Fair, fair enough. Uh, this is this is pretty bad. I mean, this is awful. Uh, but the, the type of language there included describing Meghan Markle, and I'm saying this because I think it's important to describe what type of people are right on the Daily Stormer. Um, monkey and jungle N-word, B-word, and repeatedly expressed um, their wish that she would be murdered. This is the far right, but the media has also contributed to this. The Daily Mail, for example, had a story and a tweet for it said, from slaves to royalty, Meghan Markle's upwardly mobile family. Well, I haven't seen that. Neither. Wow. I I mean, because as you were mentioning these things, I was thinking back to the point, I can't remember how many months ago it was now, where Prince Harry... um, Took, took the media to, to task over the mainstream mm-hmm. British media over the their treatment of Meghan Markle and it was this great sort of uh, 
woke awakening for, for, for a member of the royal family to sort of uh, at least put himself somewhat in the shoes of someone who might suffer racial abuse mm-hmm. and I think he made a pretty staunch defence um, of her but I mean we've come to expect this stuff from the far right I think I was more surprised to find out that Joe is a secret royalist than watching his entirety of the royal wedding not true. I ended up watching it by mistake uh, by mistake and uh, I mean I was just glad that Harry didn't turn up with his swastika armband on um, uh, but I think <laughs> what's important to note is that Meghan is not going to fix racism because I've, I've seen that one too I think it was Obama Al- did that yeah exactly <laughs> Um, it was Al Sharpton, uh, an activist in America, who said that uh, there's a shift worldwide and that white male supremacy is on his last breath due to little white girls in Wales saying, I want to be like Megan. And I don't agree with that at all. It's incredible how triggered the alt-right is um, for the group of people that love to use the, go around using the term snowflake. Uh, time and again, they prove to be the most sort of shook by uh, seemingly normal behaviour by citizens of the world. You know, I'm so bored of the term dog whistle at this point, and also a lot of the people you've mentioned there don't even really bother with dog whistle anymore. I think mm-hmm. we've seen that more across the mainstream media, and this has gone beyond to sort of the vile um, mistreatment and racial abuse of an individual I mean what is there really to say at this point I think it's highlighted some things about Britain that while there might not be as overtly in the mainstream that racism is not as overt there's still a lot of coded language I mean we saw a lot of exotic and those kind of words is she, even me as a staunch royalist I felt on the day but as I say watching it by mistake um, there was some really interesting bits in it obviously everyone's talked about the preacher so we don't need to go through through it in two months Jeps but quoting Martin Luther King at a royal wedding uh, talking about poverty at a royal wedding um, I mean he then got in they all got into a gold carriage right so I mean, we can only go so far but it, I thought that was I mean it wasn't it was an interesting day and that's as far as I'll go we're going to have a little feature on, on music this week and it seemed a great timing with a recent announcement from uh, streaming platform Spotify who have made the decision a couple of weeks ago um, or formally at least uh, to announce a new uh, hateful conduct policy um, for artists that, that use the streaming platform uh, to, to sell, promote and, and, and advertise their music and to, just to summarise what exactly it is um, Spotify is, is led by a specific example where they removed the music of R. Kelly and a rapper, I had to look up how to pronounce his name it's a tricky one, it's Triple X Tentacion I, I dare <laughs> anyone to try that one um, what they've done is they've removed their music from their playlists and Spotify playlists are crucial to artists um, being able to get their music in front of people they, they, that's what you land on when you, when you open the program um, it's, it's fairly well known in the music industry that the higher position you have in a playlist the more streams you'll get and that translates into money right um, and so what they've very specifically done the nuance lies in the fact that they're not removed R. Kelly's music and XXX Tentacion's music from Spotify if you search for them you can still listen to it but what they've done is removed any kind of promotion or advertising in inverted commas because it's not paid mm-hmm. for it's free promotion let's say, um, as a platform. And this is covered by the new policy, which says they reserve the right to do that. They extend the policy all the way up to they reserve the right to actually removing music from the platform as well. Um, They partnered with um, a couple of organizations in the US um, around the time of the the rise in hate crime. So post-Charlottesville last year in the US, um, we're seeing a lot of rhetoric, narratives um, about far-right, white power, um, 
and that and, and that led them to to work alongside the Southern Poverty Law Center to remove white power music from the platform um, and they partner with a number of organizations now to, to again sort of educate themselves about what kind of things should be and should not be promoted let's say on on there uh, the big question is is this I guess is like is this censorship uh, what do we think about the slippery slope that could exist um, taking this kinds of action and uh, do we agree with it I mean I feel like really that's really smart of Spotify like the, the distinction they made uh, at still hosting but not and it kind of brings back we, we wrote an article about no platforming recently uh, which will I think we'll also put the link down below um, and it's also that that uh, nuance between the right to free speech but not the right to say it wherever you want yeah, I mean, I'm really interested. I'm really, really interested in this topic. I mean, as, as you say, I think it's really welcome that Spotify have teamed up with a load of um, organisations in America, Southern Poverty Law Centre, the ADL, Muslim Advocates, and, and a few others, to look at this issue around getting hate off their platform. And, and I think it's part of a broader attempt by uh, internet companies and online companies to engage in this debate in a much more meaningful sense than perhaps they have done in the last 10 years. So that's all got to be welcomed. But it's a really interesting discussion where we join this line. Um, talking about something like getting white power music for example off this platform um, of course I think everyone generally speaking would agree with that but of course there's also loads of albums by relatively mainstream musicians that have all sorts of lyrics on them that are extra, especially in terms of homophobia and sexism right um, that, Do you have examples? Yeah well I mean I mean, uh, I mean, <laughs> not that it's one of my favourite albums but the Marshall Mathers LP right there's song after song after song on that which is about either extreme homophobia or murdering his wife um, and are they going to pull off Eminem records? Are they going to pull off loads of other genres of music that have this sort of lyrics in them? Um, where do they draw the line? I mean, I would argue that there is a possible line to draw, which is based around, is the idea of the music itself an inherently political project, right? White power music is, you cannot divide white power music from the project, the racist project of white politics, right? Um, whereas some of these other albums, you know, I mean, everyone's going to raise the contradiction here about huge amounts of rap albums have extreme homophobia on them. Right, but in one sense there is a difference because it's not an inherently political program. I'm so not I, saying think, I think you're right, the, but unfortunately the problem about, like, let's say, uh, focusing on political uh, message within music is that who are the gatekeepers who are making these decisions, right? Because And that's always been a big concern about censorship is who does it benefit and who really loses out the most. Just thinking about one one very recent song in particular, Childish Gambino's This Is America, is an inherently political song. If you look at the video, he's making a whole t- a ton of political statements in a, in a three and a half minutes. And he shoots people in there. Yeah. Right, and so it's extreme let's say in terms of the, the video, for example, um, and there's lots of messages to be uh, unpacked within and I guess what's more important is who, is who are the gatekeepers who are the decision makers there who are saying this is political and we disagree with it versus this is political and we like it um, that's where I, I think it could get slightly problematic you know I'm just thinking about the actual functioning of this from a platform perspective they've got a number of different tools that they're trying to use here so like we said they're partnering with advocacy groups um, if I was on the far right end of the spectrum I would say that they're partnering up with a bunch of lefties right this is exactly what Breitbart called it I think the article they wrote about it was called um, Spotify announces partnership with far left groups right Um, they've also built like a tool um so essentially, I think using machine learning to identify, like, looking into lyrics and being able to pull out things that would be classed as hate content. Um, algorithms and computer programs are all really smart, but again, I think there are 
th- these things are very it's nascent, and it could, yeah, it's a huge gray area. And then there's a self-reporting mechanism as well. So like you or I could write in and say we think this is classed as hate material or something that shouldn't belong on the platform. And there's a sort of a, a approval or a process to get rid of things that way. So I think that that to me across the spectrum is is smart, you know. And I think we've all said the same thing that. There is a conversation to be had here. Uh, I think there's a ton of risks associated with it that we, one we can only really figure out by going down this this path. I yeah, think. I mean, I think generally speaking, this has to be welcomed, right? Any attempt to get this sort of hate content off platforms where normal people can hear it, it has to be welcomed, right? It's good news, and there's and there's going to be dangers around it, and there's going to sometimes people will get things wrong and will go too far, um, and there will be contradictions and inherent contradictions in all of this sort of stuff. There's no doubt of that, but uh, I think we have to welcome it as as a, as a step in the right direction. So funny enough, actually, talking of bad music by horrible people, um, we actually published an article, uh, which again will stick in the description, so there's plenty of reading for you, about uh, a concert that we unearthed that was taking place up in Manchester um, by a number of bands within what's called the black metal genre. Um, so I don't offend anyone, but the music is dreadful, um, all of it. But also this, but specifically in terms of the band that we had a problem with here is, um, was a band called Infernal War. Now this is a really nasty band that have, they describe themselves, that's right, themselves, not, not us, as a soundtrack to genocide um, oh God. and um, the gig was uh, going to be at the Rebellion venue in Manchester and they were joined by a number of others and I mean they're really I mean, a, a nasty piece of work they used to be called Infernal SS um, which kind of gives you a hint of where they're coming from um, uh, the band singer this guy called Hair, Hair Warcrimer um, and the Hair guitarist H-E-R-R Warcrimer and their guitarist calls himself Zyklon as a reference to Zyklon B which was used to gas the Jews so we're talking about a really nasty nasty bunch of people and um uh, both musically and obviously politically um, so we actually wrote this article or a colleague of mine did David Lawrence and the venue uh, it seems as a result of that it's been a nice victory the venue has pulled this band out of the running order for the night and we've also just found they were due to play in London in Finsbury Park and again the venue's released a statement saying that they're not going to allow them to play um, so it's another it's a re- another really really nice victory in terms of getting this sort of hate content uh, out of mainstream venues our detractors will, of course, say that we are are censoring. But I think I, there's a line from the Spotify podcast, uh, sorry, statement that I thought was a useful way that they summed up um, their new policy, which says, "We don't censor content because of an artist or creative creator's behaviour, but we want our editorial decisions, what we choose to program, to reflect our values." And I think that really uh, under it sums it up really nicely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's really strange. When we were looking into the research, looking into the... I mean, uh, perhaps unsurprisingly, black metal's not big in the office. Um, So when we were looking into who who these guys are and and some of the song titles, I mean, it is an incredibly uh, interesting world. Black metal isn't a massive look in the office, although actually we do have a colleague who's quite into this sort of music. But um, I mean, it is... We're spending... When we were doing the research for this yesterday, there was... I mean, it is a really, really... I was about to say dark world. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, that was really awful, wasn't it? Um, But um, I mean, this singer guy that we were talking about who who plays in this band um, that's just been cancelled, Infernal War, He's also released an album with another band called Totalitarian Love Pulse. Wow. I found that greatly amusing. But anyway, um, that, we have run out of time here. Um, that, I was about to say some of this will be on the playlist, but it won't. Um, so don't worry about it. But we've got to move on because we've got, we've got a really, really interesting interview uh, highlighting some of the work of a colleague of ours, Rosie Carter, who's been doing a, an amazing project for the last year called the National Conversation Project. And Sophia, you went and interviewed and talked to her about it.
first, can you tell me about the conference you've just organised with British Future? So the conference uh, was a one-day event where we had speakers kind of from around the world come. Um, it was it was a combination of some of the findings that we've had from the National Conversation Project. Um, so the National Conversation is the biggest ever public engagement with immigration. So I hope not hate together with British Future have been travelling across the country. Um, having over 130 conversations with members of the public and stakeholders in all regions and nations of the UK. So we've been all the way from Shetland uh, all the way down to Penzance across the Northern Ireland and kind of everywhere in between. Um, so what we've been doing is trying to find out whether there is common ground and what needs to be done to build a consensus on immigration. The immigration debate in the UK has been pretty polarised um, with what most of us have seen. So it can be quite loud, um, especially kind of at the hostile end of things. So we see figures like Farage carry this anti-immigrant narrative. Um, I mean, we particularly saw it around the, the EU referendum, that these attitudes are quite divided. Um, but I mean, all of our polling, uh, as Hope Not Hate, through our Fear and Hope research and so on, has shown that actually not everybody fits within those camps. So not everybody um, is on the hostile end of things. People don't want to end all immigration. At the same time, not everybody on the other side is completely open borders. Um, so people have quite nuanced views, and we really wanted to pull some of that out. And what did these people say? Well, first, when I was at the conference uh, you organised, you, you, they mentioned how you focused not on the two extremes around immigration, but the people in the middle. Is that right? I mean, as I not, I think it's really important that we engage with those people. I mean, that's that's the kind of group who might be kind of more sceptical towards migration, but can also swing quite easily. I mean, we've seen kind of over the years of offer and hope polling that that group does change. And what we have seen is a kind of liberal surge. Um, and actually after Brexit, attitudes to immigration have kind of softened quite a lot, um, partly because many people who were sceptical about migration kind of saw, saw Brexit that might kind of solve the problem. Um, and other people, I mean, there, there's been changing demographics as well. So the people who are answering our questions are also more, more diverse than maybe they were in 2011. Um, so, yeah, there's many reasons that kind of play into this. But I think that's why we really wanted to tap into that middle group, because they're often kind of overlooked. Um, but actually, they're, they're quite key to these discussions, because they can kind of move things one way or the other. Would you say that the, the middle people are the majority of the population? Yeah, I mean, from kind of different sets of research, I mean, that segment the population, you kind of see about 15, 20% on either end of liberal and hostile. So, yeah, it, it is most people you kind of camp out in the middle. You mentioned uh, refugee, well, prejudice against refugees. Is there anti Muslim prejudice too? Yeah, I mean, I think that's what underpins a lot of a lot of scepticism about refugees as well. Um, so, almost everywhere we've been, we have heard anti-Muslim prejudice, and it's not necessarily as striking um, as I perhaps expected it to be. Um, it's, it's often kind of unnamed, so people tend to kind of articulate their concerns but mitigate them with kind of anti-racist norms. So they won't name particular national or ethnic groups. But they'll kind of raise stuff around, say, religion. Um, they won't name Muslims per se, but, the, but they'll start talking about religion and, and everything that they're saying kind of relates to concerns about Muslims. I think that's something that's quite worrying, actually. Um, I mean, this is a project about immigration, so we weren't expecting necessarily to hear kind of concerns about British Muslims. Um, but it seems to be linked. Yeah, I mean, the issues are quite conflated in, in the public imagination. Um, so I think, I mean, there's a lot of kind of 
things coming out of this project. Um, so I think one of the one of the things that, that um, Hope Not Hate will be working on is is looking at that that messaging and looking at how we can kind of tackle some of that anti-Muslim prejudice and what messaging resonates with those people. And is the project ongoing? We'll be finishing in September 2018. Uh, the survey is still open until July, so you still have time to take that. Um, the address, again, is www.nationalconversation.uk. Um, so we would really encourage people to take that, share it, let people know that it's going on. Hope you enjoyed that interview. Um, I think the National Conversation on Immigration is an absolutely fascinating project and uh, Rosie's spent the last year and a half doing some incredible work and we're looking forward to reading the final report uh, findings in September. So, before we finish, I thought as we talked about Spotify and hate content... um Unfortunately, part of our job on the research team is, is looking through a lot of this sort of music uh, and coming out. We come across loads of silent hate content, obviously, on a daily basis. Uh, and some of it, it ranges from the bad to the awful and occasionally to the slightly amusingly awful. Um, and so I thought, as we talked about Spotify and hate content, I would play us a few little re- records that, um, that we've heard recently that we thought were rather amusing. Um, the first one I want to start with very briefly. I'm only going to give you 30 seconds of it. Um, many of you will have heard of this Scottish vlogger called Millennial Woes, real name Colin Robertson. Um, he's a right little bedroom troll and you you can see his YouTube videos where he sits there smoking all day. Is that an actual description? A bedroom troll? No, I mean, it's okay. like, but you know, I mean, <laughs> it should you, be. <laughs> Google it, <laughs> honestly, when you have a look at him. Anyway, we, um, we, it, we've done, we've done, talked about him loads over the years. He's a really extreme character. Um, you might have heard him on our, on the intro to our podcast, uh, letting you know that we run the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, he's, he's relatively obsessed with us, but um, he's, um, there's this guy called Zurius, right, who makes this Fashwave music. Fashwave is like Synthwave, but it's instead of, uh, well, they play, it's very similar to Synthwave, other the fact that they put fascist talk over the top of it, right? Um, now, there's one which is um, a reimagining of John Lennon's song Imagine, right, by Millennial Woes. Now, I only want to play the first 30 seconds, but it goes on for 9 minutes 12 seconds, right? Um, I mean, I think it's pure genius. <laughs> I think it's genuinely pure genius. So um, I'll play the first 30 seconds or so. Imagine there's no decline. It's not easy, but you must try. No hell before us. Around us, only whites. So you get the idea, right? Uh, I mean, it's. Um, so he just goes on with a speech for nine minutes. Goes on for nine minutes while he ruins one of the great songs of all time. Um, I did think that should be a crime. I mean. In one second, my, there's a few bits. The way he says white, I think, is quite amusing. But also, the bit where he turns around and goes, you may say I'm a conservative, but I'm way past that. And uh, he's not he's not lying there, to be fair to the guy. He's not lying on that. Unlike you, I don't get to listen to Millennium Woes every day. Um, so I'm absolutely fascinated by his intonation, specifically. And like the way he says white, really, really... There's only one other person I've ever heard say white like that, and he's also on the far right. He's called Jared Taylor. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's quite amazing how you... How much uh, power and hate you can put into one word. Absolutely. Now, the next one is another belter from the far right canon. Um, this is um, this is um, some of you will have heard this, right? This has done the rounds for a while. Um, this is called UKIP Calypso, oh, right? No. I don't know if you heard I this. I haven't actually. Okay, this is another belter. Um, so this was done by a UKIP supporter, but actually, funny enough, it was actually endorsed by Nigel Farage uh, <laughs> over the years. Um, I'm not going to say any more about this. I'm just going to play this one. Put it in. Taxpayers' money, where does it go? Not even George Osborne knows. When we're in power and we engage, 